This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's so nice, I'm saying it twice. Sweetness. Sweetness. The nothing personal word of the day today is sweetness because 20 years ago today, Walter Payton died at the age of 45 years old. Walter Payton, one of the greats of all time, Hall of Famer, Mike Dicka called him the greatest football player he ever saw. Died of a liver disease. He could not get a transplant. And it's hard not to think about him all the time if you're a fan of football. If you've never seen him play, watch him play. Just watch him day to day and then listen to him talk. It's all about sweetness. You know, yesterday during the show, I was going to do an entire segment on nothing personal about Trent Williams. And I actually did think about it, talked about it, went through it. But then during the show, it came out that there was some sort of issue with Trent Williams and cancer. And it was all very confusing to me what was going on. But I wanted to really discuss the relationship between Trent Williams and the Redskins and how broken it is and how it will never, ever be fixed. And then more word has come out. So we're revisiting that and we're thinking about it again. And I'm going to explain everything that's going on and then decode it for you because there's some layers here. So about six years ago, Trent Williams, yes, that Trent Williams, the all-pro, phenomenal lineman for the Washington Redskins, that organization which just has problems really from A to Z, from its logo all the way to its owner down to the fact that they can't win games. So about six years ago, Trent Williams had some sort of uh, a growth in his head, and it turned out that it was not either not properly taken care of or just turned into something not the point, and I'm not impugning either the doctors or the player here, but the fact remains that it was removed and it was turned out to be a cancerous growth that at the end of the day, there was an issue with uh, whether or not he lived. That's how serious it was. But then what happened is over the course of years, there was a breakdown between a player and the medical staff. And that breakdown basically blew up this season. And what bothers me about this and I'm very unhappy what happened with Trent Williams and the fact that he was worried for his life. He said this, that doctors told him to be prepared to die and say goodbye to his children who were nine and five. None of that is good. And I'm not saying any of it is. What bothers me is what comes after the comma. And if you've been in this game as long as I have, you always know, don't stop reading until you get to after the comma. And with Williams, what happened is that he didn't want to play this year with so little guaranteed money left on his contract. 
he wanted a renegotiation in the middle of his contract. So his holdout was about the medical treatment he received, comma, and the fact that he wanted to renegotiate in the middle of an existing contract to get more money. Why go after the comma? Why not just get yourself removed, have a sit down with the owner who he admittedly said he has great respect for, Daniel Snyder, one of the few maybe, why not sit down and work out a deal that gets you out of the organization or sit down and meet with the doctors and with Dan Snyder? If you don't like the team president, I had this. Sometimes it's good cop, bad cop. Sometimes there are people who don't want to deal with me. They have to, but sometimes they don't. What did I do? I would manufacture a meeting where someone else would sort of be the go-between. The good guy. I'll stay the bad guy. No problem. Or switch it around. But you know the owner and the president are in sync. Bruce Allen and Daniel Snyder are in sync. If you don't like one but do like the other, you know they talk and they communicate. You've got to work out the problems with your players because if you have a player who doesn't trust your medical staff, let's forget the renegotiation. We're going to get back to that. But if you have a player who does not like his medical staff and keeps going elsewhere to find treatment and then there's not good communication between the outside doctor and your inside inside medical team, You've got a big problem on your hands with your organization. So this Trent Williams is a multi-layered situation. My best suggestion for it to end is right now he ended the holdout, but he didn't end it because he was angry with the Redskins. He didn't end it because he wanted to draw public attention to the anger he had with the medical team. He ended it because if he hadn't ended it yesterday on the day he did, he would not have gotten credit for a year of service inside the National Football League. So just come out and say it. That's all we ask of these athletes or of a front office. Stand up, take the microphone, and instead of doing it in a scrum and a disorganized way, stand up and explain why it is that you held out honestly, why it is that you chose to end the holdout honestly, and then why it is that there was a failed physical. So I don't have to record a segment about the fact that there was helmet discomfort without any understanding that it was a very serious situation. And I'm suggesting to put bubble wrap in your helmet. I don't want to be looked at as wrong. I want to be looked at as someone who's giving you something to think about, as an opinion that may matter, who will say something that no one else will say. I'm not going to say that you should be playing if you have an issue medically, ever. But I'm going to say that you have to communicate with your team president, with your team owner, and not do it because you think you are completely underpaid. That part's not acceptable. I certainly enjoyed, though, Two day, yesterday, now it's two days, and I've been sort of marinating and thinking about trophy presentations. And the reason I do is that every time there's a World Series or anything that ends, when the Stanley Cup is given and they drink out of the Stanley Cup or the World Series trophy and they try to drink out of that, but it's not a cup, so it doesn't work well. So I question what the Nats and other teams were doing. But what I love is the trophy presentation. In 2003, Commissioner Selig had to give the trophy to Jeffrey Loria, the owner of the Marlins, and I was there on stage as well as Larry Beinfest, who was then the GM, and Jack McKeon, who was the manager, and Josh Beckett, who was the MVP. And Bud was so unhappy to do that presentation. He was so upset, and you could see it in his face. He had never won a World Series. He had been once. Jeffrey, Laurie, and I, we had just gotten into the game uh, two years earlier, three years earlier, and you could just see sort of the consternation because Bud Selig used to be a team owner. And when you're a team owner, that's all you want is you want that trophy. You want to win. So Bud was miserable. He and I have joked about that actually in later years. 
but it didn't make Bud's book in case you're looking for a book to read. But this year, Rob Manfred, the new commissioner, you could tell he was so happy to give the trophy to Ted Lerner, the owner, the 94-year-old owner of the Washington Nationals. Now, why would Rob Manfred be so happy? Well, I'm here to tell you why. Two reasons. One, what Houston did to this World Series was inexcusable, and it made Rob insane. All of the -the off-the-field distractions, all of the issues that happened with Roberto Osuna and all the, the assistant GM who got let go, Everything that happened and all of the Jim Crane statements back and forth, that terrible letter that, that Jim Crane wrote in, of apology to Stephanie Epstein that we talked about on Nothing Personal, all of that happens. And Rob, the commissioner, is sitting there saying to himself, I can't believe I'm not controlling the narrative and we're not focused on the field. It all got away from him. And all he could do was say, we're going to do an investigation because you can't get too far ahead when you're the commissioner. But the problem is when you say that, then the story becomes what the teams individually are doing. And you can't tell the team to do nothing because the Astros were getting crushed. That's one layer. The second layer is a little known layer about the commissioner's really problem he has with the Baltimore Orioles and Peter Angelos, the owner of the Orioles. Now, Peter Angelos is much older now, but if you, so he's not as involved as he used to be. He's not seen, I didn't see Peter Angelos at owners meetings for the last several years of of my time in baseball. It was his sons who started going. But there was a huge dispute when the Washington Nationals moved from Montreal to Washington. And if you go back to 2005, when the move took place, there was a lot that went into it. But the number one thing was the creation of Masson. Masson is a network, a regional sports network, and it was owned mostly by Peter Angelos. And that was sort of the payment that was made to Peter Angelos in return for allowing a team to come into his market, which would be Washington, which used to be owned as a market by Baltimore. And there has been fighting ever since. It's been the Hatfields and the McCoys. The fighting has been about what the value is to Masson of having national games on TV. The Nationals want to get more money from Peter Angelos. Peter Angelos wants to give less money to Ted Lerner and the Nationals. And it's become a major fight. And they've all dug their feet in the sand. But Angelos has been really the worst of the two in terms of digging in so much and creating so many problems that you could tell that it was a little us, right? Just a little tiny thing thinking that the Angelos family was watching, watching Ted Lerner and Mark Lerner, the father and the son, get the trophy. And it made me smile because at the end of the day, it's all about trophies. And Peter Angelos was sitting at home watching Ted Lerner get one and Rob Manford loved it. What my Rob Manford's not loving particularly is what's going on with the players union and MLB. There has been labor peace under Bud Selig since 1994 and under Commissioner Manford since 2014. It has been a terrific example of what to do to try not to alienate your fan base. It hasn't led to increased ratings. It has not led to increased attendance, but it has led to increased team valuations. There is a great, great interest in both sides, MLB owners, commissioner, and the union to make a deal to avoid any sort of labor stoppage. There's a labor deal in place to the end of 2021. But there is an issue that was proposed by Major League Baseball just recently in the past week that just got poo-pooed Not a very legal word, but it actually means exactly what it says. Poo-pooed by the union. And the rule was this. MLB wants to create excitement in its game. Always jealous of the NBA 
NFL, the excitement of players moving teams. The NBA creates with, with free agency these super teams, all the excitement. We try to create a hot stove, and it doesn't really work when you've got Scott Boris holding on their free agents until January or February. It sort of becomes a simmering stove, if not a cold stove. So what MLB decided to do is propose a rule where all free agents must be signed by the end of the winter meetings. Think about that. Every single multi-year deal must be completed by the end of the winter meetings in December. How great would that be? It would be helpful in three ways. Number one, it would create a frenzy of excitement from the end of the World Series through December to compete with the excitement of the NFL. But it wouldn't have to compete with the NFL playoffs because all of the free agents would be done by December. Two, Teams who sign these free agents would get a chance to monetize them, meaning they would get a chance to sell season tickets for next season, to sell jerseys, and to get ready to fully promote the free agents whom they have just signed. And three, it would definitely keep costs down because there would be a bunch of players, all of whom would have to sign all at the same time. So at the end of the day, what you do is you get together, you promote something, and it doesn't work because the union and Scott Boris say, nope, I love going till January, February, because that enables me to get more money for my players. And that, to me, is inexcusable. It's supposed to be about the fans. In other news today, just happening, the New York Mets have hired Carlos Beltran. That's according to a report. This is the least kept secret in baseball right after Mike Matheny being hired by Kansas City, right after Joe Madden being hired by the Angels, and right after Joe Girardi being hired by the Phillies. Why would the Mets hire Carlos Beltran after going through three rounds of interviews with, with six or seven different people and saying Eduardo Perez is the favorite? He was the favorite. Never. Here's why. The Mets were always going to bring in an inexperienced manager. That was their plan from the beginning. They wanted not to have to pay top dollar. Carlos Beltran and players who have made a tremendous amount of money playing baseball who wanted to go into the manager's office are willing more than players who didn't make a lot of money in their careers to take less money. Secondly, it shows some sort of softness by the Wilpon family because the breakup between the Wilpons and Carlos Beltran was legendary. Carlos Beltran, you may remember, is famous in the New York Mets because he watched Adam Wainwright, who's still pitching, still playing. Adam Wainwright threw him a curveball to end the LCS in 2006, and Beltran was caught looking. And then they got into an argument, as we talked about earlier on Nothing Personal. Beltran got into an argument about his medical treatment and how to take care of his knees. But now they get a kumbaya moment. What an interesting choice by Brody Van Wagenen and Jeff and Fred Wilpon to bring Carlos Beltran back. Why? Because what they're doing is they're trying to create a new narrative. The Mets have never been able to create this new narrative of having a GM and a manager who are actually working together to do the same job rowing in the right direction. It's always been the Wilpons have been creating this cloud. They, they feel jealous of the New York Yankees. They sign players that they demand that they want. They get involved in a way that generally the GMs and the managers don't want. And it has created this issue for the Mets where there's no winning. Now, yes, they went to the World Series and lost to the Royals in 15. Yes, they've had the best starting rotation in theory in the offseason. Yes, they've spent money, but not enough for New Yorkers because as compared to the Yankees, it always seemed they weren't spending enough. 
What do I think Beltran will lead to as a Met manager? He has to make sure that he has the ability to communicate with his players and communicate and filter all the information that's going to come from Brody and his analytics staff. That's not something I'm sure of because Carlos Beltran's never done that before. And as an older manager, meaning he hasn't played recently, he's got to come in and embrace all of the changes in Major League Baseball. Do you think it's easy for a former superstar to look at some of these players making a ton of money before they've proven anything? When Carlos Beltran had to actually succeed in baseball and have that incredible postseason to get paid the way he did? That's why great players most often don't make great managers. And you need players who are fringe players, backup players, backup catchers. This is a very risky hiring for the Mets in that regard. But what I love about it is it's off the, it's sort of off the reservation. It allows for a narrative that's going to be different than ever has existed with the Mets, but then it's going to come the games. And then it's going to come the meddling by Jeff Wilpon, which exists, and I don't blame him for meddling. He's the president corner of the team. He's allowed to be involved in that. And then it's going to come Brody Van Wagenen. Why is that an issue? Because now if the Mets don't win next year, Beltran stays and Van Wagenen goes. That's the hard part about this hire for Brody, is that was it his hire or did the Wilpons make him do it? Did he want Beltran or did he not? Because at the end, it's going to be Brody who falls on the sword if Beltran doesn't work out, not Beltran. So Mickey Calloway gone, Carlos Beltran in. The Mets hire a new manager, an experienced player, not an experienced manager. Will it work? We will definitely wait to see. I'll tell you about uh, another superstar player who didn't become a manager, but he certainly did become an owner, and that is uh, your friend and mine, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter's back in the news, and shockingly, I'm not going to talk about the players, uh, the player or the Marlins. I'm going to talk about the player apostrophe S, the Players Tribune. Actually, Players is. Players Tribune. I think it's player apostrophe S, but I'm having some disagreement with the grammar as it relates to what you're seeing on the screen in the lower bar, which I assume is going to be changed by the time you've seen it to R apostrophe S. Now, I'm told by Matthew Coca that I'm wrong, which is disappointing. So it's the players is. That's what it means when it's S apostrophe. The players Tribune is looking to sell. Why? Let's explain what it is first. This is a company started by Derek Jeter with investments by a few other players, including Big Poppy, that was supposed to be a venue and a, a platform for players to break news and to have the ability to have a voice that is not edited, that is not controlled by the team or by any PR people other than the player. A unique singular voice. What a great idea. I think I'll invent Twitter. What a great idea. I think I'll invent Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, any of them. The Players' Tribune was supposed to be this novel, long-form area, long-form platform where players could do something. It turns out no one ever broke news there. So why exactly would you need a site and would you pay for a site when nothing's happening? When the Marlins were bought by Jeter, he wanted to break all sorts of news on the Players' Tribune about it, but there's no way the Marlins were going to allow that to happen because the reach of Players' Tribune is so small compared to the reach of a Major League Baseball team. They were never able to build the business enough. So they raised 40 or $50 million, and they're still not making a profit. Now, the interesting thing about 
normal businesses, not baseball teams, normal businesses, it's really hard to raise money if you're not making money operationally. It's really hard to borrow money if you can't show some sort of profit each year to at least start paying some of that money back. So the Players' Tribune is trying to raise more money. They're looking for, they call it strategic partners. So there's a code for that. Whenever you read or hear in the news that a company is looking for a strategic partner, it means they're on their hands and knees begging because they're about to go bankrupt and go out of business. That's what that means. And if you are looking for a strategic partnership, it means you're looking for anyone who will give you money, and it doesn't matter if they're strategic or not. So what I think is happening with the Players' Tribune, it's eventually just going to shut down. And if it shuts down, do I view that as a black eye for Derek Jeter? No. The black eye for Derek Jeter is the way he runs the Marlins. Maybe how much he paid for the Marlins, but definitely not Players' Tribune. It was a good idea. It's sort of like someone who would want to start a newspaper delivery business when the Internet is around, right? How many people are getting newspaper deliveries? Not that many, right? You read it on your computer. You read it on your phone. So I think that his idea was good at the time, but then it just had its time. So I don't think he's going to get bailed out. He had to fire about 10% of his staff at least. That's just the beginning. Plus, he's got a day job now with the Marlins. So the focus isn't that he, the focus isn't there. So I suspect that will be the end of the players' tribune. There was another press conference yesterday though. That was fun. This was a fun one to watch. I love watching press conferences because for me, where, where else can you find where you can, having been in a business, I've sat at these press conferences. I've looked at the talking points. I've written the talking points. I've edited the talking points. I've said the talking points. Sometimes my fingers have been crossed. Sometimes my toes have been crossed. But in all circumstances, there's nothing that I could hear at a press conference that would surprise me. So yesterday, Jace Tingler was announced in a press conference similar to the way Carlos Beltran will be announced. And it's going to be epic, right? Well, it's not going to be epic because they all read from the same playbook, right? So here's what Jace Tingler said. Um, I didn't come here to lose. That's staggering, isn't it? So what a wonderful thing for a manager to say. I didn't come here to lose. Really? As opposed to other managers who were hired? And they say, yeah, I came here to lose. Even Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins. Hey, how's your team looking this year? Good. Really? You're tanking. You were told you're tanking. Even then you don't say I've come here to lose. So then why would you need to say the opposite? Then Ron Fowler, the owner, chimes in. And he says, this is a win now hire. I love that. I love when we would hire managers and we'd say, hey, we're rebuilding. This is a lose now. Just lose. As much as you want, it won't count against you. But of course, it always would count against you because we're going to fire you and not let you be there when we've turned it around. But in this case, what Jace Tingler heard on the dais, I assume for the first time, was the following from Ron Fowler. If this doesn't work out, this is a win-now move, and if we don't win in 2020 or 2021, um, A.J. Preller, the GM, is going to lose his job. Jay Singler says to himself, oh my God, I only got this job because of A.J. Preller. There's no chance anyone would have hired me. I've got no experience. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you during the press conference how little experience I have. 
I didn't play. I never managed. I never really coached. He did. He coached a bit, a bit, a tad, sort of a tiny tad. He coached. Oh, I've been in the American League. I really don't know much about the National League game. It's going to be an adjustment. I'm going to make mistakes. My players are going to make mistakes, so we're all going to feel better about the fact that we all make mistakes. What a disastrous press conference. I feel like they took the talking points and they sort of mished them around and they made the passives into aggressives and the positives into negatives and the negatives into positives. I want to win now, but if you don't win, you're going to be let go and fired. We know that. I didn't come here to lose. How about just saying I came here knowing we can win? I'm calling three players a day, is what he said. Well, he's calling his players because he's got to get the respect of his players because he's coming in as a GM puppet. The reason we never wanted to hire, and you're going to look at me and say, you put your GM in the manager's seat. Yes, I did. We made our GM, Dan Jennings, the manager, and the whole clubhouse thought he was a puppet for the front office. And so, therefore, Dan Jennings stopped talking to the front office to prove to them he wasn't a puppet. So, therefore, Dan Jennings got fired as manager and as general manager. Yes, all that actually happened. So I know what I'm saying here. Right now, Jace Tingler is looked at as the puppet for the general manager, A.J. Preller, who A.J. Preller is in his 14th minute of his 15 minutes of fame. Actually, I think he's in his 16th minute, but that's a different story for another time. So Jace Tingler is calling his players on the phone and saying, listen, this is all about you, the players, and me, the manager. I don't care about A.J. Preller. I am all about you. That clubhouse is our clubhouse. This is our moment to win, and we're doing it for ourselves, like in Major League, where they put a picture of the owner and started peeling off her clothes with every victory. Who doesn't remember the stars? So anyway, A.J. Preller then calls in Jace Tingler, the GM, and says, so uh, we have to do the following four things in that clubhouse. And Jace Tingler says to A.J. Preller, Oh, okay. And then goes down to the clubhouse and sells out A.J. Preller. I've seen it happen. Any rule that comes from above, any change in the way the team is run, any on-field decision that doesn't work, the manager sells out the general manager to prove to the players that he's not a puppet of the general manager. That then causes a rift between the general manager and the manager, and then that causes a firing. And what Ron Fowler said specifically is, it's the GM who's going to get fired, not the manager. Well, you heard it here first, Ronnie Fowler, you're going to have to fire both of them. Because once you fire A.J. Preller, the new GM will come in and he'll look at who you hired as manager and say, N.A.C. I keep hitting my chin on the mic. N.A.C. Not a chance I'm keeping Tingler as my manager. So you hired Tingler. You had a press conference. You're getting sort of good at, good at them. You hired Andy Green four years ago. You're going to need more in the next year or two, but I think the next year because you set your team up for complete failure by letting A.J. Preller hire solely his guy without experience and without respect to put him in the manager's seat. Coaches with power. It's really something that we think about when we're putting a team together and, and figuring out what's the best way to win more rings. Do you let your coach be a coach and a GM? It doesn't happen in baseball, but it happens in basketball and in, in basketball sometimes and football way more often. Bill Parcells, you want him. Bill Belichick, I'm going to be your de facto GM, your head of football operations, and I'm also going to be your head coach. So when Adam Gase was brought into the New York Jets, he thought he was going to get both. Why? I don't know. He didn't exactly succeed in any way with the Miami Dolphins. But he gets to the New York Jets. 
and he thinks that he gets to make certain decisions. What decision he wanted to make was an interesting one. Was he right or was he wrong? I would argue he's been wrong on almost every decision he's already made. But when you're talking about Le'Veon Ball, you're talking about a Le'Veon Ball, Le'Veon Bell. I'm mixing up basketball, the Ball family, and football. And I didn't even hear it in my ear. I just, it sounded wrong. Anyway, Le'Veon Bell, Jets comes in, and Adam Gase is unhappy to begin with. And he doesn't really know how to deal with players who he's unhappy with, except for one way. Don't let him in your game plan. Don't let him succeed. Prove to the people above you that he is not worthy of being on the team. But then something happened strangely. The Jets ended up bringing in a general manager. And then the Jets started off their era under Adam Gase with one victory. And then it got worse when Bell went public and said, I went to my coach and I said, I want more touches. I want to be more active in the game. Why aren't I in the game plan more? Normally, I would side with management every time. A player has zero right to say I want to get in the game because do you think I'm trying to lose games? Do you think I put a game plan together trying to personally not get you touches? I'm doing what I think is in the best interest of the entire team in order to get victories. And you may be delusional. The player may be delusional because more often than not, they are. The player may think that they fit in a way that they don't. The player may not realize he's being shopped or he doesn't, they don't want him to get hurt because he's going to be traded or released or whatever the case may be. There's all sorts of things that happen in the front office where we talk about what we're going to do with players on the field. But in this case, it's slightly different. I think that Adam Gase doesn't know what he has when he has it. He didn't really get the most out of Drake with Miami and we saw what he did for the Cardinals last night. There's players, Gase brings them in thinking that they're going to be helpful to him, and then all of a sudden, they're not used in the way that the owner would have thought. So what would have been a better way for this to have unfolded? It would have been for Bell not to go public, for Bell to have a meeting with his GM Douglas and his coach Gase, and to talk about the fact that they all are united in their cause, and their cause is winning. What can they do to win more? And then you've got Douglas and Gase working together with the unhappy player. I always encourage meetings like that. I don't want my players to go public because nothing good happens. It makes me look bad and it makes the player look bad. Is Bell getting all sorts of positive attention because he went and complained about the fact that he's not touching the ball? No, he's looked at, well, of course you're not touching it because you stink or your team stinks. Why not have a united front where everybody comes out and they talk about what they're going to do better in their game planning to try by chance one time to win a second game? That would be a help, wouldn't it? But the Gase era, it's going to be over before it starts. The Bell era never got off the ground because you had the wrong head coach. You've got the owner as the ambassador in England. You've got the owner's brother running the team saying that he hopes his team doesn't stink this week. He hopes they show up. The Jets are just a laughing stock right now in their building they share with the Giants. That MetLife building has mediocre teams. Actually, they're just bad bad teams. That's every week they have to play because there's a home game every week in that building. That's not a great place to be at the moment, that's for sure. I'll tell you where there is a great place to be, and that's in a movie theater. We're about to enter the best time of year for movies, and one of the most fun, fun parts for me of nothing personal, I get to give you some movie reviews, some TV reviews, and um, there's a special movie that I want to talk about that's pretty apropos given where we are in the baseball season. It's a movie called Yesterday. Yesterday's movie, uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, if you see the trailer, you will go see the movie. It's with Hamish Patel, and it's directed by Danny Boyle. 
Danny Boyle, you may remember as the director of Slumdog Millionaire, the Oscar winner. He directed Train Spotting, which is if you want to lose your mind, go watch Train Spotting. That's how good it is. He directed 127 Hours about the climber who cut his arm off because he got his arm caught in a boulder. And then he directs this movie. This is a movie about what happens if the Beatles actually never existed except in the mind of one singer, one singer named Hamish Patel. And what it makes me think of is what I do at the end of a baseball season when I haven't won a World Series. I close my eyes, I have a small little bike accident, and I wake up having no memory of that baseball season. Poof, it just disappears. It never goes into long-term memory. So people around the studio can say to me, hey, do you remember what happened in 2010 or what happened with your team or 2012? And I've got some spotty memory, and maybe it's all because of Ambien, or maybe it's because I really was part of the movie yesterday, where memory plays a huge part. The music is unreal. The story is fascinating. Lily James, as the manager of Hamish Patel and the love interest, is so wonderful. And just it's a cutesy role. And if you can buy into this, that's the key. It's a fantasy. There is no world where the Beatles don't exist. You don't hit your head and all of a sudden the entire world forgot about the Beatles and you didn't. It doesn't really work that way. But if you can suspend disbelief, which we do for Marvel movies, don't we? Right? Do you think there's a real Iron Man out there? I really don't think so. Or the Hulk? I mean, there's some green people, but not because of that. So suspend disbelief, watch yesterday, and then think about what in your life you would say, hey, poof, I totally forgot about it. It's now gone. That's what you get with yesterday. Ugh, Steph Curry. What do you do if you're the owner of the Golden State Warriors exactly? What, what, what do you do when you've been to five straight NBA finals? You have probably the best team, the best dynasty since the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. And you're never going to win another game. And you have a new arena, and you just sold millions, tens of millions of dollars in sponsorships and season tickets. And every fiber of your body says, we've got to rebuild now. We've got to trade Draymond Green. We have got to trade D'Angelo Russell. We need to start over because we lost Durant. Clay's hurt for the year. Steph Curry is now hurt and likely done for the year. Why would, what's the incentive for him to come back exactly? For them to be an eight seed, miss the lottery and lose in the playoffs in the first round to the one seed? They have no chance to make it back to the finals. They knew that going into this season and now it's even worse. Although there was some delusion out there in some of the people and some of the smart people who give their prognostications. Some delusion about the Warriors, but now it's clear. But from a business standpoint, I did it. We raised the payroll in 2012 with the Marlins, signed all his free agents, and then got rid of them. Didn't make people too happy. People ran away from the ballpark, and they still haven't come back. Although I'm not sure they ever came to the ballpark. Yeah, anyway, so forget that. But you're the Warriors. You're selling out. You've been to the championship. You're a dynasty. you got to make some phone calls. So if I'm the owner of the Warriors, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting my basketball people together in conference room A, and I'm getting my business people together in conference room B. In conference room A, I'm listening to what my basketball people are telling me to do. And what they should be telling him to do is abandon ship. Don't be the violin player on the Titanic. When you hold on too long, you just go down with the ship. 
people in conference room B are saying, you can't give up on this season. You can't be looked at as cutting payroll. You can't get rid of your superstars. We've got people who have just spent money. What are we going to do? Then you're in the middle as the team president and the owner, and this is how you handle it. You let the basketball people decide what's right, and then you work with the business people and have face time with your constituents. You don't hide behind the president of sales, VP of sales. You don't hide behind the VP of PR in a statement. You stand up there and you own it, and you only do it after you've spoken to the naming rights partner, to the people who have bought suites, to your concessionaire partner, to many of your best season ticket holders. You get them together for a meeting, and I don't mean a letter. You get them together and you talk to them. All people want is information. They want to feel special. Reading a press release doesn't make them feel special. Hearing about it on CBS Sports HQ on the field makes them feel special. Off the field, no. When they've got money invested, no. When they've got emotion invested, they want to hear it right here on Nothing Personal and on HQ. When it's emotion, they want to speak to the person who's involved. The president of the Warriors, the owner of the Warriors. You sit down, you let your basketball people decide, and then you sit down with people on the business side and you do the right thing. I always wanted to act that way. It doesn't always work. There's no doubt that you can spend time with people on the business side and they can walk away from you. They can drop sponsorships, but at least you hold your head high and say, I didn't hide. I was honest about what happened and about what we think is right for this baseball team or basketball team. Not every team can be the champion every year. Not every team can be a five-time finalist, a three-time champion. Eventually, the window closes. Back in the day, the Golden State Warriors weren't a threat at all. They were nothing. Then they had their time. Now we're going into a different time. Bad timing with the new arena opening. I've been there, done that. It's the worst timing possible. But if you try to hang on too long, you end up hurting your team off the field and on the field. That's a bad plan. Does Pat Riley have a bad plan? I actually don't know whether he does. I think he may because he's trying to do a big three situation. He's trying to, he invented that, right? I mean, Pat Riley put together LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and that was a super team. And we could argue there were super teams in the past, but those super teams sort of grew to be a super team. But what the Heat had is they manufactured a super team. I'll never forget being in this Miami market when LeBron took his talents to South Beach. I had to act publicly that I was all happy. And I had to act as though, yeah, the rising tide brings all ships higher. I root for the Heat. I root for the Dolphins. Guess what? I don't root for the Heat or Dolphins. I want them to lose every game when I'm running the Marlins. I want attention. I want column inches. That's an old school word if you're born in the 60s. Column inches are column inches in a newspaper. I want clicks. I want followers. I want people to rate nothing personal. Give a five-star review. Follow on Twitter, David P. Sampson. I want you to do these things. And I say it, and I mean it. That's the benefit of actually being in this job now and loving what I get to do with you every single day. But back when you're running a team, you're actually not rooting for the other teams to be better than you. You want to be better. So Pat Riley has this big three, this great team put together, and then LeBron goes back to Cleveland, and he realizes Chris Bosh is hurt and can't play, Dwayne Wade's getting older, big three done. Cap space, unavailable, chances of another big three, slim, so he goes a different direction, and he's really good at what he does, but this is Pat Riley's last hurrah. What does he do? 
brings in an undrafted player named Kendrick Nunn. And what has Kendrick Nunn done? And he deserves right now to be called out because he is in the record books now with one of my all-time, old-time favorite players. First thing is, he has the most points by an undrafted player ever in the first five games of his NBA career since Connie Hawkins. If you don't know who Connie Hawkins is, get on it. Look at Connie Hawkins. Kendrick Nunn, Connie Hawkins in the same conversation. Pat Riley couldn't dream of such a thing. But Kendrick Nunn's done more. First player with 100 points in his first five career games since Kevin Durant. I'm not undrafted. First player, period. 100 points, five games. That's 20 a game for your first five games. Thank you to my calculator, which I didn't even have to use. 100 by five, 20 a game. Kevin Durant, Connie Hawkins, an undrafted player, staggering. How does an undrafted player get an opportunity to do that? Well, you got to be on a mediocre to bad team because you got to get minutes, right? If you're an undrafted or rookie player going to, let's say, the old Warriors, you're probably not going to get a lot of playing time when you're dealing with Thompson and Durant and Curry and Green and Cousins, etc. You're probably hoping for an injury, but pretending you're despondent when an injury comes. Oh, we're disappointed to lose that player for the year. Oh, I get to play more and get paid more. Okay, I'm happy. That's actually how it works inside the clubhouse. A lot of pretending. Oh, and then happiness when they get the time. But if you're a rookie on a bad team, which is most of the top picks in the draft, top picks have a good opportunity, right? They're in the lottery. They're going to start. They're going to play minutes. But then Kendrick Nunn comes in undrafted. He's got to earn his minutes. In baseball, we had a simple rule. If we paid you a lot of money as a draft pick, you're going to get every opportunity over a player who wasn't drafted and who signed for $50. I would talk about that with A.J. Ramos. A.J. Ramos was a bottom draft pick, and he had to prove himself at every level because he got fewer opportunities, and I admit that. This is how development works. Because if I get a call as the president from a player who we paid a million dollars to who they want to release, my answer is no. Fix him. Get him better. But if I get a call about a player whose signing bonus was $2,500 and they say they want to release him, that's a past tense phone call versus a future tense phone call. When I'm president of the team, those are the two types of phone calls. Past tense, present tense, future tense. That's three. Let's just talk past future. This is what we did. We released the player who we gave $2,500 to. No problem. I don't need to know in advance. This is what we want to do. We'd like to release the player you gave a million dollars to. That's called a future call. There's no way that call comes in and a decision's made before I know about it because it's a much bigger deal to give up on a real draft pick who's gotten a big signing bonus. But when you are a draft pick who hasn't, doesn't really matter. Kendrick Nunn is that guy. Good for him. Kenny averaged 20 points over 82 games. Unlikely, but it is great for the Miami Heat. And this could be Pat Riley's last stand. So I'm hopeful for him that it goes well. Well, my pick of the day has been fire. I mean, if you're a, a loyal listener, which I appreciate, and you're not banking coin, what are you doing? Pay attention. If you're where it's legal, do it. And do it now. Because whatever I say, just do the opposite. It's not that hard. So I got, I actually have a lock today. This is a mortal lock. The Houston Rockets won a game when the Astros were losing the World Series by a score of 159 to 158. And that was a non-overtime regular game. 159 to 158. 
don't they have to be tired, like their wrists and their elbows? James Harden has 59 points. Doesn't he have to be gassed, like trim his beard because it got a little like icicles or hot? I guess it'd be hot, like heat. Maybe it melted. Anyway, I get three and a half points, and I'm the Nets with Kyrie Irving, the non-moody Kyrie Irving, and I get three and a half points. I'm taking that. Take the three and a half points. You're not going to regret it. Now, I got to wait to see for you. We do a wait to see every single year, every day, every show. And then I tell you, because I'm accountable, whether they come true or whether they don't. This is an interesting one that we should talk about for a minute or two. My wait to see has to do with Manchester United and money and Chevrolet. Yes, I promised you that we'd talk about Chevrolet, and so we are. Chevrolet is what you see on the front of the jersey. See it right there? The big Chevrolet logo. How does Man U get that? Easy. Chevrolet pays them $80 million a year for seven years. Yes, that's about $560 million U.S. Why are there no names on the front of jerseys in the MLB? Because they still have to figure out who gets the money and how it gets split. But in football which we call soccer, they call football, Man U gets to keep that money. But let's look at it from a different angle. Is Chevrolet happy to have paid $560 million for seven years? Do you know how many cars they have to sell to make that worth it? Do you know how big the ego has to be of the chairman and CEO of Chevrolet to excuse a deal that big? Well, he gets proposed that deal, and then he's got underlings who say to him, it's going to work out fine, I promise you. And then they're let go. And then at the end of the seven years, Chevrolet says, we're not renewing. But the wait to see is, Man U is going to be just fine. There'll be another company who convinces their CEO that it is the perfect ego play to get their names on the jersey of Manchester United. They won't get 560 over seven years, but they will get more than 560 just over fewer years. Because if you make a bad deal, you at least want it to last not quite as long. Wait to see. Chevrolet gone. A new company will be there. And Man U is going to be just fine. Just remember, when you're listening to everything we go over, if you don't like it, well, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Goat guns are goat. Our miniature gun models will make you the center point of attention. Display them at your office desk, bookshelf, or man cave. Collecting customized goat guns to your own liking. Each goat gun model has intricate parts that snap together to assemble. Start your next hobby addiction at goatguns.com.